0: You are about to listen to another episode of the 9pm Edict, which was described on ABC Radio National's Media Report
1: as ranty, funny, profane, heartfelt, and sometimes very insightful. Uh, sometimes, yes.
2: Um, <laughs> always profane, I think it's,
1: is the it's answer It's your kind of, of unfiltered id talking about what's in the news. That's a great description, Richard.
0: This episode is number five in a series of specials that just seem to be going on and on and on and on and on, and on, and on. It contains strong language and disturbing sexual imagery. They all do. There is something wrong with this podcast.
2: Sunday, the 11th of October 2015, Australia's new Prime Minister, Lord Wentworth, has some
1: tips for interpersonal success. The important thing is to have the emotional emotional intelligence and the empathy. And the the imagination that enables you to walk in somebody else's shoes. Nicholas Fryer has
2: some tips for frustrated parents.
1: Disobedient children can be
2: burned. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing, about last weekend's football finals or this weekend's motor racing. This is The 9pm. We are above all that stuff. now. That's the sound I heard the other Saturday evening as I was making a, a shortcut through Sydney's Central Railway Station and at that moment I was caught on the horns of a dilemma as you were meant to say. On the one hand the media part of me wanted to go straight in and going oh wow something's going on here I want to find out what it is and on the other hand well it was this bloody great siren going evacuate now. And as I went around the corner into Eddy Avenue, I saw uh, keyed up railway employees trying to persuade people to actually pay attention to the evacuate now warning. And then I could see the plume of smoke streaming out of an upper level of the building. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd like to go in there and find out what's going on. But A, it's not my job. B. I'm actually with someone and we're going off to dinner and I'm pretty damn sure that their idea of a great date is not to run into a burning building. Although I should have asked, in in retrospect. Uh, And do I really want to be one of those rubberneckers getting in the way of the emergency services personnel? I do not. So here I was, walking away from a fire which I did not start. Let's be absolutely clear about this. And I walked north across Belmore Park, and then I got to the other side and at that electricity substation there, there was also an alarm going off there. And that's when I started to think, maybe this is getting just a little bit more serious. We've got the railway station on fire. We've got an alarm going off a couple hundred metres away at the electricity substation. I've seen what happens when that transformer oil in an electricity substation uh, blows up it blows up and it's really quite worrying. And, and and so kind of at that point, I had to reassess my first theory because my first theory was that the, the section of the railway station that was on fire is where all the fast food outlets are and the smoke smelled of grease. You know, It smelt like a kitchen fire, right? But then if there's another alarm at another critical infrastructure location – the electricity system it's like oh, maybe yeah maybe let's get out of here now as it happens my original theory was first it wasn't the terrorists it was a uh, a kitchen fire that got out of hand and uh, I did, in, in fact, speak to some firefighters who were at the electricity substation, and they said, yeah, we just think that this is the direction that the wind was blowing the smoke, and the smoke detectors went off here, we can't find anything. And they were looking relaxed, right? And when emergency services personnel are, are looking relaxed, you, you kind of know that the situation is probably under control. All right, there were there were fire appliances streaming from all directions, and lots of sirens, and all of that kind of stuff. But... Nothing else blew up and, okay, situation normal. A fire happened. uh, People were evacuated as a, a precaution and the fire was put out. And a little while later, you know, everything calmed down. But it did get me thinking about the nature of resilience, to use that word that is kicked around a lot by, well, people who do think about this shit. And for all the talk of the risk of terrorists killing people in a city like Sydney... Really, the whole place can be disrupted by what was, when you think about it, quite a small fire. It just burnt out a, a like a handful of fast food outlets. All right, it could have gotten worse, but where's the resilience in that system? If a relatively small fire stopped all of the, the intercity and country trains in and out of Sydney, it stopped the light rail system, it... <sighs> Uh, does this stuff come from the fear of the terrorists blowing everything up uh, or does it really come from a a false sense of having to be ultra safe the whole time? okay I would not want to be the state rail employee who decided not to evacuate the railway station and then you know thirty people got killed or something that would not look good on your uh, resume for your next job would it but really it shows how easy. The terrorists have got it. They don't actually have to kill anyone. Just the sense of imminent danger and the fear that the danger might get worse is enough to shut down a significant section of a major city. Also, in the last couple of weeks, I was intrigued by uh, this, this inquiry into food labelling standards, it's euphemistically called by the Australian Parliament, but quite frankly, its its target is halal certification, because apparently halal certification is terrorism. No evidence to suggest, you know, no rational thought behind any of this, but I think it's summed up by the submission to the parliamentary inquiry that was put together by someone called Bernard Gaynor, who I don't know enough about and much about it, he must be some sort of potted plant or something. But his submission was called "Culinary Sharia." Like, what the actual fuck?
3: Uh,
2: When I saw that the the morning it came that it was pushed around uh, amongst a few media people, I said, "Yeah, I think the chicken sausages I bought the other day are halal, so I'll just fire up the fry pan and commit some Sharia and eggs for breakfast." Look, I. Why do we care how other people decide what they eat? I mean, why the fuck is it any of our business? That's why I can't take this anti-halal movement seriously. It's just so stupid. It's, it seems to be yet another continuation of this ludicrous idea that the world is full of unknown things and that unknown things are dangerous. I find it interesting, too, that this unknown things are dangerous uh, meme is promulgated mostly by people who are fucking stupid. Like, maybe the world wouldn't be so dangerous if you decided to find out something about it. You know, learn something. But I know, we'll sit there and read dumb fuck shit on the internet and put out reports called culinary sharia. Oh, for fuck's sake. I worry about the children growing up in the face of this idiocy. I, I, I care about the kids, obviously. i I've got to care about kids. I mean, you, you have to say that or they think, yeah, some kind of nut job, right? This is another thing that happens. That children are these delicate, fragile little petals growing up uh, under threat of this potentially dangerous world. Even though, of course, the world is much safer than it ever was, as I I believe I've said on other occasions, as I'm pretty sure I've pointed to that that map somewhere that shows, you know, four generations ago, people could cycle kilometres to go fishing when they were nine years old. I grew up on a farm and, yeah, would ride several kilometres into town to buy bread and come back. And now, of course, kids can't can't go to the end of the street without a fully armed four-wheel drive and helicopter gunship support. What is going wrong with these people? And more to the point, what sort of adults are these kids going to grow up to be? Living even more so in constant fear from all of the dangers that they don't understand. I worry sometimes that, you know, I'm I'm middle-aged man, I'm overweight, I might have a heart attack one day in the street. And I'm fucked, basically, because people these days have no idea how to deal with that situation. How many people in that in a crowded street are going to know first aid. I mean, I've seen things happen in the street and I'm the one who's usually having to organise everyone because they will just stand there slack-jawed or now they probably just want to film the whole thing on their phones. It's like, that's terrific. You've got a nice shot of me dying if it's me having to put up with that. I mean, great, great people. You have created a generation of people that are fucking useless in the face of adversity. The media is implicit in this, of course, as are the police. I get the uh, the media releases from the New South Wales police, for example. And every single time a child is believed to have been approached, which is, you know, euphemism for kitty fiddlers, there's a media release about it. No matter where they are, they can be 400 kilometres away in some small town, but, you know, that's going out as an, uh, an alert to the media across the entire state all right, again, I would not want to be the police officer who was, you know, sitting in the big chair in the corner when a kid goes missing, right? Again, you're going to look pretty fucking fabulous in the news reports. But the problem is we get this barrage of of stuff about pedophiles and yet do the police issue a media release for every break and enter or abusive language or car speeding? No, of course not. So we get this... False balance coming up that of the proportion of emails coming out from the police, there's a huge proportion that's about danger to kids. When in fact, that's a very rare thing. All right, there's a lot of it in society, but there's a lot of society for it to be in. And, you know, we are quite rightly concerned about all this. But we do end up with the false impression that pedophiles are everywhere and the media adds its own sense of urgency to to those reports, pushing the balance even further. And it results in something, and I'm not sure whether I've mentioned it before on this podcast or not, but what I call the hallucinating goldfish effect. The hallucination part comes from the fact, and it is a fact, that we are reacting, and certainly politicians are reacting, to this paranoid fantasy version of the world. And the goldfish part is the complete inability to remember anything from week to week. You know, politicians live in the perpetual present, in the daily news cycle, the hourly news cycle. And the fact that they've done, I don't know, 13 reports in the last 12 months about, oh my fucking God, the the water supply is full of electric eels or something. And look, and there's no electric eels whatsoever. But another... Claim comes out that there are electric eels in the water and, oh, yes, uh, the government will be investigating the eel situation. But you've done that! Just tell people they're stupid. Tell people there are no fucking eels. What is wrong with you, you soft cocks? Which leads me to something that doesn't involve Sharia law, but it's probably terrorism or something, and that's the fact that the elected leader of a modern Western... Well, of Britain, anyway... Face fucked a dead pig. Also, the story goes—that's not a phrase I use often. Face fucked a dead pig. It sort of comes off the tongue nicely, doesn't it? Lots of plosive sounds. But that story isn't even a reportedly; it's just an it is claimed. And this is another part of why the news around you, the journalism that's meant to be happening, is so fucking shoddy, because. Anybody can claim anything and then you can run it as a headline. Oh, it is claimed that. I might send an email off uh, tomorrow. What should we do? Um, that pff, the Queen of England has left for Mars in a giant golden chariot fueled by methamphetamine. It is claimed. You can run that now. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it a camera piece and say that I've had clear visions of this. There you go. First news station to get on to me. Uh, $200 appearance fee. Off we go. And it's that kind of stuff which leads to things which I think are quite interesting, such as the Sydney Morning Herald story the other day. Across the top it said, Malcolm Turnbull junks tax white paper in major reset. The idea was that this whole tax reform process that the uh, Crusader Rabbit government had been working on had been dumped by Turnbull. Now, he was on... On Twitter, that's very Malcolm. He was on Twitter, very, very sharply saying that no, that's not true, which is a shame because I was hoping that Malcolm Turnbull had a, a plan to replace the Australian Taxation Office with an app-based startup called Taxly, you know, and that's just monitoring what you do through the Google stuff of the world and and just taxes you appropriately through your, your smartphone. I think could, that could work quite well, and we could take a, a more finely grained crowdfunding approach to running the nation. Take, for example, uh, the Royal Australian Air Force FA-18 missions over Syria, which kicked off apparently it's legal, says some of the legal advice. Now, sooner or later, one of those uh, FA-18s is going to have to outrun a missile, say. So because of the Internet of Things... Those aircraft could ping out a request on the app, shit, we need to put the afterburners on, but that's going to cost a lot of fuel, uh, micro-subsidies, and if enough people quickly say, yeah, that's all right, bing, the pilot can put the afterburners on and he gets away. And I think that's fair because if the government hasn't sufficiently sold the idea that this is a just and legal war, pfft. There goes another pilot. And, and the pilots would soon rebel if too many of them got shot down. We'd have a military coup. Australia would be sorted out. There you go. There's a strategy for you. The government's really out of touch, though, isn't it? I mean, they're not going to bring us an app-based thing, though. even though apps clearly are the future. And Malcolm Turnbull has said so. And uh, Wyatt Roy, the new minister, a uh, junior minister for uh, innovation, oh, he's, he's apt right up the wazoo. Under the previous government, Joe Hockey, the alleged treasurer, really did cop so much flack for being out of touch with the public and, quite frankly, out of touch with how economics and arithmetic and the taxation system works. For example, on the 19th of January this year, Joe Hockey was talking to 3AW's Neil Mitchell and said, quote, When Australians spend the first six months of the year working for the government with tax rates nearly 50 cents in the dollar, it is a disincentive. When you're working July, August, September, October, November, December just for the government, and then you start working for yourself and your own household income after that for another six months, it is a disincentive. Yes, it would be, Joe. It is also not fucking true, as... Anyone who knows even beginner Attacks knows, but ABC News went to the bother of doing a fact check on that. Like it's fact checking that the sky is blue or that gravity pulls you down and all of that sort of stuff. But that's the level of idiocy we've been reduced to that we have to fact check the bleeding fucking obvious. Yeah, Joe's never been uh, too good at understanding uh, those who are less well-off than his uh, good self, such as the time he, uh, he, he he sort of rejected any concept of housing in Sydney being unaffordable.
4: If housing were unaffordable in Sydney, no-one would be buying it.
2: Completely ignoring the fact that of course, there are other people apart from those currently buying the houses who would also like to buy houses but can't. But Joe had an answer for that.
4: The starting point for a first home buyer is to get a good job that pays good money. And if you've got a good job and pays good money and you have security in relation to that, uh, that job, then you can go to the bank and, and, and you, can, you can borrow money.
2: You can borrow money. Just get a good job. Just get a good job that pays well, no matter what circumstances you might be in, no matter what cards you have been dealt in life. Just get a good job. It's just like that. Just go get one. It's your fault if you don't, right? Then there was Joe's reaction to the suggestion that changes to the fuel excise system, which I don't understand, but basically changes that would put up the cost of fuel for people's cars might affect those on low incomes.
4: The people that actually pay the most are higher income people with an increase in fuel excise. And yet, and yet, the Labor Party and the Greens are opposing it. They say you've got to have wealthier people or middle-income people pay more. Well, and change to the fuel excise does exactly that. The poorest people either don't have cars or actually don't drive very far in many cases, but we are actually, you know, they're opposing what is meant to be, uh, according to the Treasury, Uh,
2: a a progressive tax. Yeah, that's right, Joe, isn't it? These people, won't they think about the wealthy? The wealthy pay all this tax. Don't they appreciate it? You poor people who don't even drive properly. If you drove enough, you'd generate some tax too and we wouldn't be picking on you. Yeah, except... Poor people do drive further than rich people because only rich people can afford to live in the inner suburbs where there's transport. Uh, or driving short distances. Poor people have to live out in Una Galabi Heights and drive 375 kilometres to the corner shop and another 1,050 billion kilometres to get to work each day where they're paid 0.7 cents above the basic wage because they've been too stupid to get a good job that pays good money. And then, and then remember back last year when they had the temerity to say... Yeah, we know Australia's Medicare system is meant to be about universal health care, but now, how about you all pay seven fucking dollars for everything you do on top of that? Here's how Joe responded.
4: One of the things that quite astounds me is uh, some people are screaming about $7 co-payment. One packet of cigarettes costs $22. That gives you three visits to the doctor. Uh, You can spend just over $3 on a midi of beer, so that's... Two middies of beer to go to the doctor. Let's have some perspective about the costs of taking care of our health. And is a parent really going to deny their sick child a visit to the doctor, which would be the equivalent payment of a couple of beers or one third of a packet of cigarettes? Here it
2: is again, isn't it? This is this middle class idea that you're poor because it's your fault. It's your moral failings that have led to you being poor. I wonder whether Joe's thought through the idea that maybe there are people who are parents who don't smoke and don't drink and they're already living right on the edge and... uh, Fucking hell, what a moron. Against that background, and with Joe Hockey gone, although he's having a bit of a sulk in the corner just like Tony Abbott is, (laughs) yeah, good, good one, guys... Will Malcolm Turnbull as new Prime Minister be any better at connecting with the people? Well here's Lord Wentworth doing his first television interview after becoming PM on ABC's seven hundred thirty with Lee Sales.
0: Let me ask you a bit of a personal question, and I don't mean it to be offensive in any way. Life has it del-
1: <laughs> probably It probably will be a bit. <laughs> be a, bit. a little bit offensive,
0: yeah. Life has dealt you some great cards that mm. few people get, right? You've got a, a great brain, everyone would agree, um, good parents, good health, um, mm. lovely family, good yeah. education, um, enormous wealth. What do you say to Australians who might think, well, how can Malcolm understand what it is to struggle for anything? Because Malcolm's had everything that he's ever wanted
1: well it's the the truth is i'm I have been extraordinarily lucky. I have had to struggle in my life i didn 't i wasn 't born with a silver spoon in my mouth by any means but um you know the, the reality is that that even if you 're born with a with brains you know with high a higher intelli- higher than average intelligence uh, that is as in a sense as undeserved as somebody who inherits a, a billion dollars
2: and i 'm actually with Malcolm at this point because this whole idea of whether good things or bad things happen to you because you deserve them really is a crock of shit.
1: Uh, the fact is we've all got to recognise that uh, much of our good fortune is actually good fortune. Of course, you work hard. Look, I'll, I'll give you an example.
2: Oh, that's good, because you can hear that thing that I mentioned last time is happening, that Turnbull is kind of jumping around as his brain tries to find exactly the right turn of phrase, and, and then, yep, got it, and in he goes.
1: I remember... When I was a partner of Goldman Sachs in New York.
2: Uh, Wait, sorry, what's your example to uh, connect to ordinary Australians again, Malcolm?
1: When I was a partner of Goldman Sachs in New York.
2: Yeah, not the example I would have picked, but continue.
1: uh, You know, very successful investment bank. Everyone was earning very big money. The chairman, the chief executive of the firm, gave a sort of pep talk to the partners. And he said, you know, we're doing well. We're making lots of money because we work hard and we deserve it. And I said to him afterwards, just quietly, I said, you know, there are taxi drivers in this city that work much longer hours than anyone does here, and they don't earn very much at all.
2: I mean, that's true, Malcolm, but I'm not sure that I believe you were out chatting with them and drinking and things. I mean, I may be wrong. I may be doing you a disservice there, but it's not an image that comes easily to mind.
1: So the truth is, we don't really deserve our good fortune, and that's why... If you are, if you do well, uh, you've got to give something back. You should, that's why I encourage people to be generous. I encourage people, that's why I encourage and, and practice philanthropy. And in terms of understanding the situation of others, all of us are different, right? So the truth is, nobody can have experienced exactly the same experience as any other Australian. The important thing is to have the emotional emotional intelligence and the empathy. And the, and the imagination that enables you to walk in somebody else's shoes, to be able to to, to sit down with them on a train, or you yeah, know, a- I'm
2: bored, Malcolm. Now I'm bored. I'm over it. Um, interesting interview that one with Malcolm Turnbull on seven thirty. Whether um, Mr. Turnbull, Lord Wentworth, manages to uh, follow his own advice and uh, keep his eye on walking in another man's shoes if you'll excuse the weird geometry of that, Uh, as he continues as Prime Minister, remains to be seen. It'll be an interesting question. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to the Edict. I must admit, I do rather like that description of the 9pm edict from Richard ad on ABC Radio National's Media Report that we kicked off the podcast with this time. What was it again?
1: Kind Did of unfiltered id talking about what's in the news. And some of
2: you seem to like that because not only do you keep listening, you open your wallets. And that's good because this podcast is only possible thanks to you, the listeners, and your subscriptions and one-off contributions. This time, I'd very much like to thank for his generous contribution again, Stuart Young. And in recent episodes, as you know, I've been uh, working through all the material that has been sponsored by people who contributed to the 9pm Urgent Hardware Refresh. And... They're going to take forever to get through, or at least the next few episodes, so I do thank you uh, for your patience as we work down the list. Here's another batch in this episode.
0: Casual Verbaling.
2: Greg Randolph is entitled to a casual verbaling, but he notes, Please direct abuse to Nowhere Bob, whale molester, and dugong fancier. Well, yes, Nowhere Bob's treatise on the subject of marine wildlife erotica, a uh, treatise, more a manifesto, really, uh, is a worry. Quote, I have sampled the pleasures of many people and many marine creatures, but nothing surpasses the moist, pliant pleasures of the dugong. Nowhere Bob breeds Baby Dugong, in his bathtub for sexual purposes. Oh, the huge manatee! Hamish Taylor is also entitled to a casual verbaling and notes, apropos of nothing, have you ever seen a real-life ninja? No, good, aren't they? Well, Hamish Taylor, I admire your commitment to scientific inquiry there. I mean, observe the universe. Look for those ninjas and draw conclusions from their absence. But I must tell you that I did see a ninja recently. In fact, two of them uh, in a video that I had downloaded from the internet. And if I'm to uh, understand the meaning of the word ninja correctly, it means young Japanese gentleman. Uh, And I will say I could see them. I could see these ninjas quite clearly. What I could not see was any clothing. Uh, and
0: I don't think we need to hear the details.
2: Performance of what I can only assume is a ninja ritual uh, of some kind. They're pe- we definitely don't
0: need to hear these details.
2: Orifices. Um, so, Hamish Taylor, I'm not quite sure uh, whether your theory holds up. <laughs> Now, from time to time, I bemoan the fact that very few people, in fact, almost no one, provides an audio comment for this podcast, even though I make it incredibly easy for you. There's a Skype ident you can can call. There's a telephone number you can call if you want to use the public switched telephone network. Uh, Or you can just email in. A, an audio file, and I will probably include your audio comment in the podcast. Well, I'm pleased to say that Dave Hall has sent in an audio comment. Hi, I'm a long time fan, and here's my audio comment. Even better, you can leave an audio comment, not anyone does, but you'll find instructions. Oh. That's it. Apparently, you can do better, I'm sure.
0: One of three words, number five. Oh,
2: God, yes. Look, I'm eventually going to get through all of the material that uh, I promised to make for you during the 9pm urgent hardware refresh. Uh, But, look, the one of three words thing, I quite like. The various... Foot Soldiers for Media Freedom have nominated a word, and I will pick three of them at random and improvise upon that theme, that is the theme suggested by the three words, for 60 Seconds. Uh, Now, uh, if you've been following this for some time, you'll know that the Cocktail Shaker of Integrity from Stilgerian Live is no longer available because it's in storage. Uh, The Crystal Vase of Transparency didn't fit my hand in. The Coffee Cup of Perpetual Vigilance, uh, I haven't got there, but what I have uh, here with the words in is the soup bowl of down-to-earth honesty. But uh, honestly, I don't know why I even bother with this attempt at transparency. There are no cameras. I could really be telling you any goddamn thing I like. But, you know, there is a a certain level of uh, integrity about this uh, really stupid thing. So uh, give them a stir. I'm not looking in. Uh, The first word out is...
0: pap," suggested by Dijba. It is a German word. Meaning Poppycock, or Boulder Dash, or Hogwash. <laughs> uh,
2: really? Okay. Uh, the second word is.
0: Impact, suggested by someone whose name cannot be found right now. Don't question me.
2: And the third word from the Soup Bowl of Down to Earth Honesty is.
0: Feynman, the physicist, suggested by Mark Beshey. Uh,
2: right, so there we go. The three words are papillapap, Impact, and Feynman. Although there's something in the back of my head that says we've had impact already, but never mind. Uh, There's obviously uh, some sort of discrepancy in the soup bowl of life, but that's what you get, really. Okay, we get the timer up dial in 60 seconds and uh, go. Richard Feynman, if you don't know the name, is one of the greatest physicists of the 20th century, Uh, was uh, fundamental in uh, formulating much of quantum mechanics as we know it, and was someone who worked on the Manhattan Project, the uh, then top-secret American program to uh, create the atomic bomb. Uh, And one of the, the, the things about Feynman's approach to life is that he was very much a purveyor of Papalopap, that is hogwash, except... More from the debunking sense. One of the things uh, that he was uh, very fond of doing was uh, pointing out to the security authorities on the Manhattan Project just how stupid many of their security uh, procedures were. He would break into supposedly unbreakable unbreakable safes and, uh, you know, make off with secret documents. It really is hard to uh, underestimate his impact. There's a couple more of these uh, three-word things, one of three words, to come in the next couple of episodes of this podcast.
3: And now it's time for Nicholas Fryer with The Arch Window. I was reading an article on my tablet a couple of days ago and I got so angry that I might as well have been listening to hip-hop. This sort of thing happens a lot these days, ever since everyone younger than me became an idiot. I can't remember the precise issue. My trigger was the confected outrage at someone's use of outdated technology, like a fax machine or grammar. But the thrust of the piece was the much-repeated furphy that people in senior positions can't possibly be taken seriously unless they're daily users of Snapchat or Periscope or... Whatever other indispensable tool of the media revolution will be nostalged about by its billion former users a year from now. So kids, shush. Grown-up talking. This global, uber-connected hyper-future is still basically the Bronze Age with flashing lights plus bonus annoyance. Here's why. While I was still in primary school, people worked out how to smelt copper, a technological breakthrough which they instantly used to make shitty weapons and worse armour. But the true impact of this discovery was eventually realized when the first enterprising paleo-boffin realized that copper is extremely ductile, which means you can draw it out, like a bad marriage, until it's long and thin and suitable for use in poorly thought-through similes which keep banging on about that one fucking time at their sister's dinner party. Eventually, maybe three thousand years ago, people worked out how to smelt iron a much more useful metal with which you can make machines. Some of those machines could then be applied to the incredibly useful task of digging big holes in the ground. Some of those holes turned out to be useful because at the bottom of them they found a black oozy liquid made of squashed trees, not unlike the substance that bananas eventually turn into in children's school bags. Now tree ooze, like disobedient children, can be burned Keep an eye out for the squashed trees, though, because they're about to become a recurring theme. One of the places you can burn trios is inside machines, attached to round things called wheels, which can then move about on their own. This is handy, because one of the other things to be found in the holes that we've been digging with our machines is a black, friable solid also made of squashed trees. These tree corpses will also burn, and again... An amazing place to burn them is inside another machine, so we can use the ooze-burning machines to carry the tree corpses from the hole in the ground we got them from to the other sort of machine. Inside that machine, the tree corpses are burned to heat water, to make steam, to make a turbine spin, to move a magnet near some of the drawn-out copper we've got lying around, reminding us of our carefree youth. This causes electrons to move along the copper, which we can use to power other machines. Machines only made of metal, however, turn out not to be the most interesting kind. Using, among other things, the power from the electrons in the copper moved by burning tree corpses, you can turn oozy tree juice into plastic. You can also turn sand into, well, another form of sand, basically, but when you put the metal, the plastic and the enhanced sand together in a special way, you get a device capable of storing and transmitting ignorant opinions. Suitably encoded, these opinions can then be sent, using those handy electrons, along the elongated copper, or in some cases elongated sand, enhanced in a different way. They're sent to a large tower, often made of iron, at the top of which they pass through a circuit that causes radio frequency photons to be sprayed out in all directions. A fraction of those photons so small as to be essentially zero, will then be received by another aggregation of metallo silico plastic, and the signal processed and passed to a film of organometallics, also mostly made from triues, that' has been squidged between two sheets of the type two enhanced sand referred to above, which will then glow in a pattern at least as coherent as the thinking process that went into the production of the opinion in the first place. So that I'm finally able to read the, say, smug little cartoon pointing out in the olden days our knuckle-walking ancestors achieved precisely the same result by primitively smearing squid jism over squashed trees and shipping thousands of copies around the country using the same motorised ooze burners that we're still using to carry tree corpses to generators to run the phone network and the factories that make the tablets on which we so modernly modernificate our precious modernity. Now take off your elastic cuff playpants and get to bed and turn off that bloody hip-hop.
2: Just before I finish up this particular episode of the podcast, there's a couple of things I want to mention. One is that I do have another possible campaign running for another five days or so, and that's the uh, Sends Dilgarian to RuxCon 2015 Possible. So you might be able to understand from the title the intent of this particular campaign. Ruxcon is a very, very important Uh, information security slash hacking conference being held in Melbourne at the end of this month. And uh, well, I'd like to go. Look, head over to either my website or to possible.com slash corrupted nerds2 for all the details on that. Uh, and arranging a lot of these information security things is uh, one of the reasons why this podcast has been delayed. Uh, and I'd also like to pass on uh, a bit of a life tip. Um, just recently, uh, as some of you may know, I've, I've had some health problems. Uh, my shoulder uh, has been uh, playing up. It's an old... Um, Uh, Look, it's an old injury. I was once run down by a car and I went over the top in a kind of suitably 70s cop show fashion. Let me tell you, that fucking hurts. And uh, it comes back to hurt you uh, years and years later. And I've also had some dental problems with a a tooth that keeps exploding and having to be uh, repaired. Uh, But I will say that uh, if you've had strong painkillers for the shoulder and the sedative that the dental clinic hands out to just kind of reduce your uh, anxiety levels before the procedure, uh, then you really do become one with the world. Uh, I mean, that's I was laying back in the chair, but uh, as the dentist is doing his work uh, on the screen on the ceiling, uh, I was watching a documentary of all things about the Kyoto fish markets. And as the procedure was being done, the narrator of this documentary said, and now we sever the brain from the spinal cord. I uh, like, so yeah, whatever you're doing, I... Yeah, look, have you got some Enya you can play? Maybe some Deep Forest? And then after the... um. The procedure was done. I wandered out into the streets uh, on this particular combination of chemicals and I was uh, interacting with the locals in a cheerful and carefree manner. So, yeah, both benzos and opiates, that's how to do a Monday. (music) Well, that's all the edict for now. If you'd like to leave an audio comment on this podcast, you can, well, go over to the website at stilgarion.com. You will see how to do it, but I'd like to Skype to Stulgerian, there's a phone number written there. You can just do it. Further casual verbalings and tongue lashings and two minutes hate will continue to appear the next episode of the 9pm edict will appear around about monday the 19th of october i think more or less until then i'm still gary and you have a great life
0: the 9pm edict is a skank media production sorry
2: portions of this podcast which did not affect the final outcome have been fabricated